Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom and State. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 Hello, this is Leslie Gish. You're listening to the Gist of Freedom. We have Mr. Gary Grant on the line. Are you there, sir? I'm here. Thank you, Leslie. Great. We're we're waiting for your host, Natasha, to uh, call in. But in the meantime, could you just introduce yourself to our audience? Okay. My name is Gary Grant, and I'm president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association based out of Tillery, North Carolina, uh, and uh, been a farm farm guy uh, all my life and uh, have been leading the battle uh, of uh, helping to Save off the destruction of black farmers and black landowners. Wonderful. Now, you have a major event coming up real soon. Tell the audience about it. Yes, we do. We have a major event coming up at Howard University on <clears throat> Friday, December the, I'm sorry, Friday, February the 19th uh, and uh, the 20th at Howard University at the Blackburn Center's Digital Auditorium. We have a great lineup of uh, people who have been working on the black farm issue for many, many years, and uh, we are hoping that we can get people to come over and uh, join us as well as the students to learn more about air property, the reasons that uh, farmers are having such a rough time, and the reason that we are having what's called uh, food deserts within the urban areas and cities. Okay. Now, what is the hottest topic in your discussion at the symposium? The hottest topic will be uh, saving black farmers and black-owned land. Um, That's an economic base that we as a people seem to have uh, forgotten that is there that can help us to have uh, financial stability and also be able to feed ourselves with healthy food. Give us a story about one of the most disturbing incidents involving um, land loss. Well, maybe many of the young folk don't realize that the black farmers sued the United States Department of Agriculture back in uh, uh, 1997 and entered into a consent agreement in April of 1999, which the farmers did not want to do. Uh, the lawsuit is called Pickford versus Glickman, Secretary of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, Mr. Pickford tried to, he's from uh, 
the lower part of North Carolina down near the Fedville area, and he had tried to borrow funds to uh, get a uh, farm to buy and uh, was not able to do it and had had been farming and had what was known as an operating loan that he had become delinquent because of weather conditions and all of that. And while he was uh, in Washington, D.C., negotiating, trying to get us some kind of relief for him and his family, the two sons who were went to school that day uh, came home in the afternoon and uh, found that the uh, house had been locked up, all the furniture had been set outside, and the children had no place to go and could not get in touch with their parents because uh, at that time uh, cell phones were not so uh, uh, available to uh, rural and farm communities. So that's uh, one of the sad stories. We also have had several uh, elderly farmers who have been put outdoors uh, as they were trying to continue to uh, negotiate with the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture on saving their farmland. My family also had has been in that predicament. We didn't get put out, but we were in court for over 30 years, and we have still ended up having to pay the the Department of Justice, who represents the United States Department of Agriculture, on uh, for a loan that was uh, delinquent because of uh, disaster years. Uh, also, these agents of before what was you called, before you continue. Let me just ask you quickly, when I think about these stories that you're talking about, I think of Sherry Sherrod. Could you tell the audience a little bit about her and, you know, why is she important when it comes to farmers? Well, Miss Sherry Sherrod was, uh, had been fighting to save land that she and her husband and a group of community people were had purchased and uh, I don't know all of the intimate details but eventually they were foreclosed on and uh, they were also part of a, a lawsuit that sued the US Department of Agriculture she became the first uh, african-american woman to head up the what was called the uh, farm service agencies uh, Georgia State. Uh, uh, we could Google the, it later, but go ahead. Right, the the the, the Georgia State uh, Farm Service Agency, and uh, she, as with everybody, you know, we make speeches and all of that. And at one point, she had made a speech in which she was uh, t- telling the story of her trying to help a white family farmer, and. Uh, she and during the speech she made a statement something to the effect here here's me a black woman trying to uh save black owned land and now I'm going to work with a white uh family farmer and I cannot remember the guy's name but it the sentence was taken out of context and broadcast uh on social media and on Fox 50 I believe it was and she was traveling the long, lonely roads of Georgia, and she got a call from the White House that told her she needed to send in her resignation ASAP. No one did any kind of investigation or anything like that, um, and she had to pull on the side of the road and write a resignation letter at that point. 
uh, to which later on they discovered that uh, the 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 text had been taken out of context, and she had not refused to work with the uh, white farmer, and she actually had helped the white farmer. So it, it, whenever black people are involved, it's just always assumed that we did the wrong thing, never assumed that we were doing the right thing. And Ms. Sherrod uh, lost her position, lost her title, and eventually uh, her group did uh, win their settlement with the USDA. But uh, to think about the shame that this woman had been put through, and then you have to go about rebuilding your own reputation because they take no responsibility for it whatsoever. Yeah, that's just horrible. But it, it puts everything into context. It's the backstory of what we're going right. through um, right now. And we have Miss Natasha on the Hi. phone. Okay. And um, she can take over. We were just talking about Sherry Sherrod, Natasha, and um, Mr. Grant also talked about the event in North, in uh, Washington, D.C. So I'm going to mute myself out and you can take over. Thank you very much. Okay. Hi, how are you? Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. And uh, she was doing a good job there, so I just want to get that plug in for her as well, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's okay. All right. Um, so, Mr. Uh, well, Grant, could you, um, did, were you able, could you give us, could you give us a little bit of a uh, background about you and what your history is? Well, I had been given a little bit of background on myself uh, as to the fact that I have you grew up on a family farm. What I didn't tell them is that I'm in a community that's called a resettlement community out of the 1930s and 40s. Uh, because the government failed to give the 40 acres that they had promised to uh, the, the slaves, eventually the U U.S. Department of Agriculture under the uh, administration of Franklin Roosevelt uh, created a, uh, an agency called the Resettlement Administration, and they bought uh, former plantation land in several states and uh, created uh, 13 African-American uh, resettlement farms where the land was broken up into somewhere between 40 and 65 acres, uh, and people could actually purchase a homestead um, with a house and that had two or three bedrooms. It had a barn and a chicken coop, everything that a family would need in order to be able to survive. In uh, Tillery, they purchased 10,000 acres of former plantation land and broke it up into those kinds of tracts and made it available for African Americans to purchase uh, usually the, somewhere between four and seven thousand dollars, but in 1930, anyone who knows about the economic situation back then, that that was just like saying uh, $150,000 for a farm or something today. Um, but at any rate, we I grew up in a community with 300 uh, family farmers, and today none of the descendants of the folk who came to Tillery, and they came from every state along the eastern seaboard, uh, none of their children are in farming today because of the hardships and the racial discrimination and the lack of support from the uh, government at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And that's just an example of what has happened. We have four 
uh, black farmers in the area today uh, in the entire county of Halifax, North Carolina, when we had 300 farm families right here in Tillery at one time, up until about the mid-1960s to the early 1970s. And that's the kind of uh, plight that black farmers have been put into. Uh, We also need, uh, in this struggle as we are dealing dealing with, we call our city cousins, those who live outside of the uh, farming community, that many of them are landowners in the South because of what's known as air property, and many of them are not uh, in tune with it or care, and they need to know what kind of an impact this will have if they just let the land go because they don't pay the taxes or they let some farmer come along and swindle them out of it. Uh, Land is not being manufactured, and it is a solid economic base for economics for African-American communities. And that's why we want to, <laughs> we're coming to Howard University. Uh, back when we filed the lawsuit in 1997, in 1998, Howard University was assisting uh, the leadership of the Black Farmers Movement in setting up a mock trial there at their law school. And the government decided that that should not happen, so they quickly came up with what was called the consent decree of the Pickford class, and that stopped these kinds of stories from being uh, heard across the country. So what is it that the United States uh, Department of Agriculture could actually do to assist with this issue? Well, if the Department of Agriculture has under the Farm Service Agency, they have loans that allow for purchasing farmland, they have loans for uh, purchasing equipment, and then there's a loan for operating during the year. The equipment and farm and land ownership loans are spread out over years, but the um, operating loans are to be repaid within 12 months. Uh, if you have disaster years, then that prevents you, you know, your, your crop gets destroyed, then you're not able to uh, repay that loan during that year. There are programs that the uh, agency can put, uh, allow the farmer to, to have access to that can keep him operating. And in the cases of the black farmers, these programs were not offered, or if they were offered, they were offered at a uh, uh, a larger interest rate than they were offered to the white family farmers. They were uh, the loans were oftentimes late getting to the black farmers. Uh, you put in your application in January, and you should have a an answer by um, uh, late February, early March, because beginning in March, especially in the South, here is when your farming uh, time begins. We have farmers who actually receive their uh, operating loans in September, and September is the time that you are supposed to be harvesting your crop. Uh, This led to many of the farmers becoming delinquent and then were put in uh, what is called foreclosure, and the foreclosures would put them out of their home and off the land because in most cases, the home was never separated from the land in the loan package that they got at the very beginning. Uh, agents were able to uh, 
let uh, white farmers know who was in trouble and who would probably uh, lose their land and things like that. Uh, so we're st- we've been fighting this since um, the early 1970s, as did a group called the Federation of Southern Cooperatives down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where Shirley Sherrod had worked, and uh, this is how she got her footing in the uh, agricultural community uh, that led to her eventually becoming the farm service agent for the state of uh, uh, Georgia that she was forced to have to resign from because of some misinformation that was put out by Fox News. That's very interesting. So now um, you said that at one point Howard University was going to get involved and do this mock trial, but uh, the government stepped in and sort of signed a consent decree. Um, is Howard now totally out of the picture in terms of being um, actively involved in helping? Well, we think that Howard is still there. That's why they are working with us, and uh, they will be the ones hosting the uh, event that we are having on February the 19th and 20th there at Howard University in the Blackburn Center. We have a young man by the name of Michael Stewart who's doing his Ph.D. work on the decline of black farmers in America. And uh, he's been uh, uh, our contact there and has done great in, uh, job, a great job in helping to organize. We have uh, the assistant director of agriculture from the School of uh, Agriculture, the College of Agriculture, rather, in, um, at uh, Kansas State University who will be with us. We know that the president of the Howard will be there to welcome us. We have um, young, we have activists who have been working on this issue for many, many years. We have Malik Yatkin from Detroit Black Community Food Security because right now you, we actually have uh, probably more farming going on in urban gardening in the cities than we have young people going into farming here in the the rural areas of the South where farming and food growing should be a, uh, uh, you know, it, which not, that not should be but is primary. Uh, we have Pete Daniel who is the, uh, uh, with this, uh, was with the Smithsonian and he's uh going to be a keynote speaker on Saturday, I believe it is, or, or uh, there. So we have a great lineup. We also have some researchers who have got the statistics on the decline. I don't know whether people remember that in 1920, uh, African Americans owned somewhere around 15 million acres of land, farmland, and that we had almost a million black farmers at that time. And by 1996, uh, and even to today, we are down to under seven or right at about seven million acres of that farmland still in our control. And we have uh, somewhere around 30,000 uh, black farmers across the nation. That's according to the U.S. Census of Agriculture. However, the U.S. Census of Agriculture defines anyone as a farmer who grosses $1,000 off of their land. So urban gardeners who have jobs that they are working on a regular basis and do some gardening on the side to raise a little money are being counted as full-fledged farmers when we are talking about people who are actually trying to make their living off of growing food or other products on the farm. 
Um, is there anything that um, people can do in terms of lobbying the, um, the Farm Service Agency at all to help? Well, the, you know, many people in the cities think that they, because they're in the city, they don't have any, uh, can't have any power within the farming community. But it it takes all of the uh, elected officials in the legislature to come up with farm policy um, that we need to be able to. If you're talking about thirty thousand votes spread out across uh, fifty states, that's not doesn't really give any real political power, but if we start talking about all of our uh, city cousins who are there, then we have political clout, and we, we would be able to negotiate more with the uh, uh, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture on, prom, on programs that are needed. For example, they have a program called Disadvantaged Farmers. That's just another way of basically saying uh, poor black farmers or whatever. Uh, but in order to qualify for the funds from that program, you have to meet the same requirements as the program for just a regular farmer. So what's the, what is the use in setting up a, uh, a special program if you're going to have the same rules and regulations and not make those regulations uh, applicable enough that the people who need those funds can actually qualify for them? Um, and we can, our people there in the cities can help us negotiate that by being able to help educate their representatives some on why uh, such the, such programs are needed and why there needs to be a different standard for it, for the, the loan process. Um, they have a special programs. Go ahead. Right. And what are some of the other hardships? I know that there's less. Um, black farmers now as a result of, of this. But what are some of the hardships for black farmers that are actually still exist today? Well, they're still uh, being foreclosed on, number one. Uh, and then we also are still being tardy in receiving the funds that they need to operate the farms during the uh, the course of the year. Uh, I was telling the young lady before that uh, if we have had farmers to get their operating loans as late as September when you that's the time that you start harvesting your crops uh being able to have uh for example where I am right now we have a black uh agent that directs the local county office here but if I wanted to make a loan I would have to drive for over an hour to get to another office in order to make a loan that doesn't help any so and they will tell you well we've got this number of black agents but does the agent have any uh real power and any discretion in helping the farmer to get through the loan process and the answer would be no uh right now the immediate help that we need is to get uh some people to make some contributions to us so that we can bring some of the farmers up from uh, the the south to Howard that they would be able to tell their own stories and uh, talk with the media and anyone else who uh, wanted to, uh, you know, interview them. And we have set up a uh, an account on GoFundMe.com that people can make contributions, and we are a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, so any contributions could be written off, as, uh, you know, your, your taxes as a contribution. 
And also, let me add, for the consent degree, decree that was signed, so basically it was really just a band-aid, right? Nothing effective. I don't yeah. even say, I don't I don't think that you'd find many farmers that would say that it was a band aid. Uh land farmland is to uh is selling today for twelve hundred to two thousand dollars an acre. If you had lost a hundred acres of land, uh as your your farm a hundred acres, in today's value that would be what, two hundred thousand dollars. And they gave you fifty thousand dollars, which in many cases was uh, taken to uh, pay on the debt that was owed, uh, or you had you were in foreclosure and the debt had grown to to a, a level that you could not uh, pay for it, and then it was reported to the um, Internal Revenue Service that you had received fifty thousand dollars and your stateless. If you had state taxes, it was reported there as well. Now, they did pay the federal taxes, but, for example, if I owed $100,000 to them and they wrote it off, they reported to the um, Internal Revenue Service that I had an income of $100,000 to which I would have to pay the taxes on. So it it didn't even do a Band-Aid work. The the only folk that actually got the Band-Aid were the folk who had uh, just given up long ago and that there was no debt at all other than the fact that they could prove that they had been discriminated against. I know that's a lot to take in, but uh, just think about you're supposed to be getting relief, and the next thing, the Internal Revenue Service is knocking on your door saying you owe this amount of tax. Right, right. Um, what, is there any role that the black church is playing in helping? Uh, to be honest, no. They benefited from the 50000 because many of the farmers then went back and made contributions to the churches, but we've not had support from the black church in the way that we should have had it. Um, we call upon them, uh, Reverend Fontroy, I believe it was, that he had us to bring up some produce a couple of times to his church there where the uh, membership uh, purchased it on on the Sundays after church and all. But we've never been able to get the churches either locally or in the city to actually come together and let's put together a program that will keep fresh food coming into our communities on a regular basis. It's pretty hard to do, but it can be done, and there are models out here that we have that can that can cause that to happen. When, when we look at the relationship to what we are eating and the doctor bills that we have because of our health problems, it, is, it, it comes back to the fact that we are not eating uh, healthy foods and all. And then with food deserts where in the urban areas where you don't even have a good uh, grocery store within walking distance for people or a, a decent bus ride for people, that, that also creates a problem as well. And all of this can be solved by um, people joining with the black farmers and coming up and supporting this process by which fresh food can be brought to, into the cities. And those are the kinds of topics that, that uh-huh. we're going to be talking about over at Howard on uh, this com- the, the next weekend, the 19th and 20th of uh, February. 
We also have uh, uh, a a, uh, director of a nonprofit law firm, uh, Savvy Horn, uh, who is with what's called the Land Loss Prevention Project that has worked, that organization worked here in North Carolina with uh, black farmers. And if they had not been there, many more of the farmers would have lost out in North Carolina because they would not have been able to afford attorneys to fight the cases for them. Uh, since Shirley Sherrod resigned, I think it was around 2010, has her replacement been uh, any helpful at all? Um, well, I'm not in Georgia. We will have uh, uh, we have Eddie Slaughter, a farmer from Georgia, that will be at the uh, at the uh, event, and we also have um, the Minister of Agriculture from from the Nation of Islam's farm in Georgia, and I'm sure that they will be able to shed way more light on that than I than I can. Um, we have uh, also Natasha Bowens an author who has titled a book, written a book, The Color of Food, Stories of Race, uh, Resilience, and Farming. So um, I, I don't profess to have all the answers or know all the answers, but we believe we have a lineup here of people who will be able to handle any of those you know, questions that people might have. I can say that unless the city cousins unite with the uh, farm cousins, the country cousins, we will lose. It had already been predicted that there would be no black farmers in the country by the year 2000. Uh, there are those of us who say, well, that has come true, because if you're talking about 30,000 farmers left in the, uh, uh, in the, in the country, we, we are basically lost. And they'll say, but you still got numbers. And the question would be, but how are those numbers growing, and how do you define those numbers? Okay, and so what would you say, um, you said you mentioned people contacting their representatives, um, possibly donating. Um, could you give um, the address again for people to donate and also, um, let's see, I know the event uh, on Friday and Saturday, February 20th and 21st, will be from 8 to 5 p.m. each day at Howard University's Blackburn Center Digital Auditorium, right? That's correct. And I've been saying 19th, but it is the, that's because I'm arriving on the 19th. It is the 20th and 21st at the Blackburn Center on Howard uh, University's campus. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, you can people can donate by going to uh, either BFA, well, let's go with the GoFundMe.com uh GoFundMe.com forward slash JGAAQ4. And uh, you can make contributions there, and those contributions are tax deductible as the organization is a 501c3. If you want to send the contribution, it can be sent to BFA, B F A A, P.O. Box 61, Tillery, North Carolina. Uh, 27887. And if we're going too fast for the listening audience, you can contact me on uh, at Tillery, T-I-L-L-E-R-Y, at AOL.com. And uh, we can 
continue to you know give directions from that point as well. Or give us a call at 252-826-3017. 252-826-3017. And can I say this that uh to the listening public any amount will help us. The uh, you know some people think that I well I've only got a couple of dollars. Well, if if we can get a couple of hundred people to send in a couple of dollars, that adds up, and that's what we're we're, we're asking so that we can get these farmers there that can tell their own stories and uh, also help us to understand. As far as organizing, so that we can get people talking to their legislators and all. It, this is a beginning. We would have to have more in-depth conversations, either by uh, this means or for them inviting us to uh, churches or organizational meetings whereby we can uh, explain this in more detail. And, and when, I do have a, a, a last question. How is Monsanto affecting um, the black farmers at all? How is what now? Monsanto. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, the small family farms, and it's not just black farmers. I mean, they are having an impact on everybody because of the uh, gaining and uh, control of the seeds that uh, farmers usually could keep and replant. They are making them sterile so that you have to come back and and buy them again. Um, they don't if if some of their seeds uh blow over onto your land while the farmer next door is planting they have sued small farmers because of that uh so these uh, large corporate farms are having uh uh and corporations are having tremendous impact on uh black farmers uh all across the country and, and just grouping all of us together as family farmers they're having a profound impact as well and uh, Dr. Ridgely Muhammad from the Nation of Islam is going to talk a little bit about that as well, on the uh, how they have uh, taken the seed and made it sterile and all of that, and probably the impact that it has on our bodies, uh, especially as uh, on the creation of, of uh, sperms by men because we're not eating or getting the proper nutrients that we need. So. I was just going to say, there's not many topics that you can bring up that the farmer doesn't have, you know, some impact on it or that it doesn't impact the farmer in some way. Are there any last thoughts you want to share with the viewers? Uh, I would say to them is that this is a urgent call. Uh, we need the support. Uh, not only we need the support definitely for the the event at Howard, but we will need support even after that is over if we intend to keep, I say, first of all, the economic base in rural communities where the blacks do own the land, and uh, also that if we are going to do something about the kind of food that we're eating in our urban areas and cities, then we've got to have create a con- a process and a connection so that we can all benefit from this and help to bring down the uh, the the health issues that we are dealing with on a daily basis. And I mean, I think the mere fact that the um, uh, first lady, that one of the first things that she did was to create a garden there at the White House sends a very loud message to us all. So please join us on uh, 
Friday and Saturday at the uh, Blackburn Center at Howard University and come over and hear the speakers and presenters and also be able to talk with them. And I hope the last thing that I want to say is that you all will have us back on this program not only one time but a few more times over the next uh, 10 months. Yes, most definitely. Thank you so much for sharing um, this issue with us and our viewers. And I'm sure there are people today who were enlightened who had no idea that this was going on. Um, for those of you who are interested in attending the event, again, it's Friday and Saturday, February 20th to 21st from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the uh, Howard University's Blackburn Central Digital Auditorium. You can call uh, Mike Stewart at 202-607-0436 or the BFS, I'm sorry, BFAA office at 252-578-4729 or you can email BFAAUSNOW at AOL.com. Thank you so much, Mr. Grant, for joining us today. And um, we look forward to people supporting this cause contributing financially and contributing with their time in terms of reaching out to their, their local politicians. And we thank, thank you. you so very much for this time uh, to get the information out and to, to spread the alarm of what's happening to us, okay? Great. Thank you, and have a good evening, everyone. The same here. Everyone have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.